We'd like to start off this episode of the podcast by apologising for some comments made in the previous episode. Since this, the episode has been taken down um, and we're grateful for the fans who identified some comments that were just not appropriate for the public forum. In saying this, this is not going to stop us from sharing our opinions on player performance. However, we will do it in a better manner and we will not ever make comments like this again. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Yes, indeed, there's Tweeta Levi Casbolt. Murphy, the veteran, the sidestep, the banana, Mark Murphy. Might have no choice. It starts right, it swings back. What a goal! Hello and welcome back to the Unlucky Blues podcast. You might notice a change in host this week. I'm Tass, joined again by Luke and JB. Luke's not hosting this week because we had an absolute rough night on Thursday night and he has lost his voice and has not recovered which I believe is fair enough, and most of you out there will probably believe the same thing. JB, how's things? How are you feeling after that performance? Heartbroken. Again, it's like it's, it's like, it's like a relationship and you've been cheated on again after they told you they won't. There's no other way of putting it. I feel like there's no other way of putting it because, you, again, you have faith. Oh, no, it's going to be different this time. We're going to, be, we're going to play better this time. And you, and you catch them in the sheets. It's... Oh, but... Sounds like you're a little bit hurt there, JB. What's going on? It's just it's just same old Carlton, mate. Like, there's actually no more words for it. It's just like, how many times are you going to put all your effort and just like emotion into feeling, like having faith in this club and then for the players to play like that? Come on, man. It's getting beyond ridiculous. I think the, we made the perfect analogy on Thursday night, me and you sitting together. I don't know if I actually told you this, but I said it in my head. It's it's similar to what you said just now. It's like expressing your feelings to a girl that you've been friends with for a long time, and then she tells you she doesn't feel the same way, and then you stay friends with her in the hope that one day maybe, maybe things will change. We've been in this relationship for twenty years. How much longer can we cope with it, Luke? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's getting tough. That's for sure. Losing patience. We got to remember it's it's round two. Um, it's a it's a long season. It's a marathon, not a sprint, as they as they say. But um, yeah, there's definitely alarm bells ringing. I think um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely we need to see something next week against Freo, something convincing, not only by the players but just by the club. Whether it's them making a statement by dropping, you know, a star player, whether it's I don't know, whether you you say right. You know, Levi, if you don't kick five goals against a, a Spud Frio defender, whoever's on him, Brennan Cox, I don't know, he's a forward at the end of the day, playing in the back line. If he doesn't do that, well, you're done. You know, there's guys that, there's good enough players ready to come in and make an impact that just aren't getting a chance for guys who are underperforming week in, week out. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating for sure. It is like, we have been in this relationship for 20 years and my God, am I, am I on my last legs I'm definitely not going to stop following, but geez, it's it's frustrating, that's for sure. Yeah, look, it's, it hasn't been an easy ride. There's no other way of saying it. JB, give me your initial... I mean, we've given our initial reaction, but in terms of actual game-wise, give me some initial thoughts. What, what did you think? Uh, it was just... I feel... I feel everyone talks about, I guess, Plowman in the back line, how they had that many goals kicked on them, but I feel it was just... It just all stemmed from the midfield, then, and the no pressure there... It made them made them made their forward fifty entries looking like training drills. It was that was one thing that stood out for me, just that midfield pressure and how much of an effect it has. 
defensively and on the defenders where like Plamon yeah had seven or eight goals kicked on him well it's not a good stat half of them were just lace out where you couldn't really do much about like obviously you can get closer but at the end of the day they'd perfect kick straight to the players and without the midfield pressure that that just came so so much easier to them and um that was one thing as well and then our inability to transition we couldn't do it at all like there was no there was no chain handballs chain chain kicks whatever gone from coast to coast none of that and then we'd try to kick to a contest and um i will get to the play performances later but no one was providing consistent marks i think Harry mckay had a couple but the one person who we were look for if he's not going to kick goals which is Levi wasn't doing wasn't doing anything he didn't drop the sitter I think almost yeah. where it was like he was he was one out right in front of him he just dropped it like come on man there's just instances where it's almost like we've gone back to the Bolton style of play the Maltese style of play where you know David T comes out in his press conferences he expresses how much I don't think it was David I think it was actually Dale Amos came out after this and game he's like oh we're going to use the new rule to our advantage going to use the corridor move the ball quickly but what I saw on the weekend was Collingwood started better than we did and we defaulted to using the boundary line, which is not... Which is, if you have faith in a game style, you stick to that game style. You have faith in the system. The one thing I took out of the Making Their Mark documentary was how much Dimmer Hardwick had faith in his system and his instructions. There was, there was one episode there, I don't know if you guys have seen the doco, but there was one episode there where Richmond were down at three-quarter time. Do you think Hardwick gave him a rollicking? He didn't give him a rollicking. He came out and he said, have faith in the system. Go back to the system. They went back to the system and they won the game. I love that you said that because I'm a big believer. I'm a big NBA fan. And I, when I watch it, I support the Washington Wizards who are a struggling side. And they always seem to try and adjust to whatever the opposition team is doing. And they're never the team that sticks to the guns and makes the opposition adjust. And Carlton do the exact same thing, I think, sometimes. And... It's an issue because you train a certain way. You train a game style, like like Hardwick said. You stick to your guns with what you know. As soon as you start changing that, players are going to be caught in two minds more often than not, and it causes problems. And that is exactly... I'm, I'm so glad you said it because that is exactly... It. We, we The players don't know what they're doing half the time. And, and it's obvious because you just look, in as you said, in transition. We make it so hard for ourselves to get from one end of the ground to the other when we've got like three uncontested players ready to just kick or handball to along the way. Yet it's such an effort. And then you look at Collingwood out of transition. You look at Richmond out of transition. They went from back from back line to forward line in the space of about 10 seconds. JB, I don't know if you noticed, but Collingwood, when they had the ball, they were waiting for an option. They didn't try and rush it forward, didn't try and use the wing. They always looked to go inside to the point where they do... There was a big uncontested game for Collingwood on Thursday. And I think... One of the things they do well is they hold the ball, play possession game until something opens up. So they're holding the ball until the corridor opened up and then they went through. Yeah, because like we had, they definitely like were more more patient. And then when we went through the middle, it worked for us. We It wasn't all the time. And then they, I don't know why they just didn't realize that, hey, let's go through the middle more because it was working. And it didn't. They just kept defaulting to the to the boundary and not even being able to get the chop out contested marks. Yeah, they were a lot more patient. They were a lot more better with the ball. And um, I can't remember where, actually, I can't remember where, where I heard this, but it almost looked like it was just like second nature to them. Like they were playing without thinking, just playing on instinct and just like the training and like muscle memory almost. That's what it looked like for them. just like that much easier. I mean, I feel like it's a broken record, but maybe in time we'll be like that. But we should be like that now, I guess, playing better football. But yeah, 
unfortunately it wasn't the case. And, and I guess this leads on to the next point is about game style. Do, do we do we think that the coaches that we have currently are able to influence the players enough to execute that game style and have faith in that game style? Do we think the coaches are hard enough on the players to be able to say, no, I don't care what happens, we are sticking to this forward pressure? Because that's what it is, isn't it? It's forward pressure. Sticking to this forward pressure, lock it in and transition through the corridor game style regardless of what the scoreboard is. Honestly, I don't know what the coaching staff is doing because you look at you look at the top teams and they're so well drilled and focused into what they're meant to be doing Every player is on the same page. No one is lacking. Yet I look at then in was in the last quarter with about five ten minutes to go. Um, Collingwood on the wing chipped around about I kid you not ten passes within about twenty meters. When the game is on the line at that stage, we were still in with a shot, and we could not. Eat. There was always one player that wasn't sticking to their man. I I, I can't remember off the top of my head who these players were. But they chipped it, the ball around at least ten times, and that is absurd. Surely, on the third kick, you make him kick long. We couldn't even hold it in like that. So, I don't know what what's going on. The coaches, the coaches need to respond. The players need to respond. It's it's problematic. I, I just don't know where the issue sort of has stemmed from. I think that you know a lot of a lot of, and I don't like the media much, but. A lot of times they say we need to know how to win. Now, I don't necessarily buy into that because Bulldogs won a flag from 8th or 7th a couple of years ago. Um, so they didn't necessarily need to know how to win a grand final to win a grand final. They just went out and did it. But do, do we need to know how... Do, do we need to have people who have won flags in our coaching staff to be able to show show and hold players accountable as to what it takes to become a premiership contender? JB? I mean... Half of it, you'd say, yes, you want... Because you know, maybe like there's certain drills or tactics you can have. But then again, it could just come down to just severe, like intense planning where you could have messages from messages from the coaches like in these scenarios, we'll do this X, Y, and Z and then actually do it. And then sometimes I just don't think we've been able to do that, I guess. I mean, I, well, yeah, because while I agree, you kind of need you know, players that know how to win and play, I guess I could say, pretty Cripps used to losing... I mean, if you're good enough, you'll win most of the time, really. So it just depends on your ability and if they and if the players want it more. And on um and against Collingwood, no matter how many coaches we would have had that knew how to win or players that knew how to win, they just didn't want to win against Collingwood. Or looked, at least it looked like. So I'm not too sure about that, but I mean that's my two cents. I guess what I'm trying to get at is we are currently driving and enabling a losing culture around our club Terry made a good point in his match review shout out to Terry Degani he's been a great support this week um, he, he made a point in his post-match review that we just constantly breed losers so you bring in you bring, we replace players from one era bring in quality draftees who are top class players but then turn them into losers so he, he said we brought in Mark Murphy and Bryce Gibbs top class players in their drafts bred them into losers. Then we replaced them with Patrick Cripps, bred them into losers. What's going to happen with Sam Walsh? Even Zach Williams too, we've got on big money, not just a draft pick, on big money too. Yeah, so I think what I'm getting at is unless you have winners at your club, you'll never be a winning club. I look at Richmond and I look at Damien Hardwick's assistant coaches. Now, Dimmer Hardwick won a premiership with Port Adelaide in 2004. 
did Justin Lepich play in that era? In the yeah, Brisbane era? He played, he, he was in yeah. the Brisbane era. He was in a season then, in Even then, 04, 05, they still made a grand final 04 and I still think they were yeah. around it in 05. So yeah, another definitely another winner. Again, there you go. Now look at St Kilda now. Who do I see coaching St Kilda? I see Rats, who've won 95 with us, right? Yeah. And I see Jared Ruffhead, three-time premiership player with Hawthorne. They've even got, they've even gone yeah cross codes. They've got Billy Slater as a um as an assistant. There you go, breeding a winning so, culture. So maybe, maybe to be honest, but yeah, you probably you probably are right. I haven't really given it that much thought, but yeah, with Billy Slater in there, maybe means. Don't. I guess what I'm saying is you don't necessarily the coach doesn't necessarily have to be a um a premiership player. Like I don't think Clarko played in a premiership when he played. No, he, no, he just he just punched one of the Cullen blokes in the yeah, face in the eighties. That's that's all that's all my dad talks. About. Um, you don't necessarily have to have. They don't all have to be premiership players and winners, but you have to have some people, Luke, that are that are you know know how to win. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and you know I look at it, and I guess that was a big reason I think Bolton came to the club because he was at Hawthorne for um, a lot of their success as an assistant, um, and that backfired. And maybe that's because he probably just wasn't ready to be a head coach, which understandable because it is a big step up. Um, and yeah, interesting because you look at the players who we have brought in. In the ones that come to mind straight away is Saad, never been a winner. Williams, relatively successful at GWS, but they underachieved really over their time. Jack Martin's never been a winner. You're right. It's a, it's a, it's a common theme, I guess, and it's, it's concerning. But it also, I think there's the other end of the spectrum where this could fuel players to want to become winners more and more, whether it's in their nature or not, who knows. But you you got to... You, you can't build a club that's been down in the dumps for so long by just bringing in winners because that's not possible. You got to come. You got to get up the ladder somehow. You got to. You got to get there before you can get all these winners on board. Like, I'd love for us to get a Sam Mitchell in, involved in the club. I'd love a Luke Hodge or you know these guys who recently have won. I don't want a guy who was a winner in the nineteen nineties. I want a guy who's won recently, knows the current AFL game because the game has evolved so much. It's getting weirder and weirder every year. Whether it's for the best, better, or the worst, well, that's up to your opinion. But well, you're right. We we don't have a winning culture. We never have, and it's evident because against Richmond we should have won. Against Collingwood we played awful, and yet we were still within a sniff until the last sort of five ten minutes. So yeah, you got a point there. It's like when we uh, we went and got Chris Judd. We were down in dumps, been bent down in dumps for four years. Chris Judd's just come off two premiership, not two, played in two grand finals, one one. Won a Brownlow with West Coast. We went and offered West Coast whatever they wanted, except for pick three, not pick one. Um, but, you know, we got him across. He was a winner. He instilled winning mentality in our club at a time when we needed it most. And what happened? It changed. We made finals four consecutive years in a row. We played, we came fifth in 2011, made a semi final, probably could have won. It was what we tried because we were what? We had four wins in 2007 before he came. Get him, and the only real loose changes I can remember from that year, or, or ten years old. But we had what Judd in, Cruiser in. There wasn't much of a list change, and we, and the, sorry, Hadley. yeah, maybe Hadley. I, but you add Judd in and Cruiser in, and all of a sudden we've got the ten wins, eleven wins. So it's not like it was a mass change in the list. It was more mindset, and then Judd coming across maybe being a winner as well. So yeah, I. It's definitely one we're going to have to talk about more in in the future as well, if that's important going into the future years. But um, the Judd one's actually definitely a good point that you that you make. Yeah. Anyway, let's uh, 
let's move on. We'll come back to our blowtorch later. I mean, I could knock it out now, but I'm getting a bit rolled up at the moment. Um, let's go on to some positives. Luke, hit me. I know. I know. We we all agree. We went all went. Ugh, we all went out for breakfast before, and we all agree that Lockie Fogarty has been one of the best pickups we've made in the past five or so years. Yeah, look, he he's continuing to impress, which is great because um, we, we've he's a player who has never stood out at Geelong. He played a fair few games, just did his job, got by, and then he says he wants to come to Carlton, and there was every chance he could have ended up being like a, a Billy Smiths or a Darcy Lang, but he he's shown that he, he's certainly not that, and his forward pressure is something that we've lacked for a long time. You know, guys like Fisher and... Bets recently, um, they 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 you know provide a bit, but they don't ever really help us lock it in. Fogarty is the only player looking back at the game on Thursday night where I can remember laying some really strong tackles. Um, and he and he, I don't know I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm sure he had a fair few score involvements too because he just seems to be the most lively threat in our forward line or in our midfield um, sort of that half forward uh, sort of role. He's the one that seems to be the most actively involved in our attacking moves. And when he's involved, it looks better. So, yeah, I think Fogarty's been great. And I think when we, you know, we again, we dominated that third quarter. I thought he was he was fantastic in that third quarter in, in maintaining that pressure. And it was it was him and a few others that just really, they we smashed him. We smashed him. We didn't get the result for it again, but... The more we do it, the more success we're going to get. We these third quarters we got to take advantage of. Fogarty was a, was one of the leaders in that in that um, part of the game, and that he's he's young and he's already growing into a, sort of a, a leadership role in that forward line. You can already see it. The players are loving loving what he does, and he he is he is now the bar that he set the bar, and it's great. He's it, it's what we need in the club because, quite frankly, our, our pressure just has not been good enough up until now. Yeah, with Fogarty, because in the third quarter when we needed a goal, he stood up. He had that effort at the edge of the centre square, break a couple of tackles and hit the kick to... I can't remember who... To Mackay, to kick another... Who was actually another positive on Thursday. Albeit, but um, yeah, because that, that as well, about like about time we've actually had a play. And yeah, about time um, someone from Geelong coming to us has been been half decent and I'm sure he'll be more than half decent in the future as well but yeah about time we've got someone who can who can tackle and stick tackles because every time they get the hand on and they and they dive for the tackle and they just get brushed away and brushed aside like they're kids but um, yeah yeah um, Fogarty had five score involvements which I feel might be a bit low but he's still very very important to that forward line now I was five score involvements but he kicked a goal as well and, and he laid does this goal count as a score involvement yeah, yeah so it is five okay um, but he had four tackles as well. That's that's something like that we have previously criticised that our players don't do. So to go and fill that need with someone who does tackle and tackles well. I just saw footage of all four of his tackles and all of them were arms wrapped up and to the deck. I think one got rewarded for holding the ball, I'm pretty sure. Um, that's exactly what we need. Gone and filled the need. So I'm really impressed with Lockie Fogarty. I think he's been a great pickup and will continue to be. Um I'm going to go back to... We'll go to Harry, but just quickly. Does this... Does, does the way Lockie Fogarty has come across as a young kid, 21, has had three years in a good system, does that come across and worry you as to guys that have been in the system for the same amount of time? I mean, I know we've got Luke Power and he's a premiership player, so that's pretty good. 
He's been he's I think he's been okay, but does the development JB does that worry you at all? I never really thought about it that way. Like the fuck it he's been and he's been that good because at the end of the day he was pick nine eighteen nineteen, so essentially a first round pick really. You'd say, and um, you see Dow who's been picked two, albeit maybe we thought we could fix the areas and turn him into an absolute superstar. He hasn't quite caught on yet, and maybe would he have done the same at Geelong, or would be would he be a star at the moment if Dow say Dow went to a, a better system development system like Geelong, or maybe Hawthorne at the when they were winning flags or or whatever. I mean, it does a little because you could imagine what our players could be like if our development was better and we've seen it time and again where players just lose the potential of their careers because the development of the club that they're at hasn't been up to scratch so I mean it's a tough one but I don't want to be I don't want to be too mean after getting too angry about about the club but it does it does worry a little because seeing how how good Fogarty's been and just the small and the small things he does right is as well where that's one thing one thing we lack. Yeah, look, I, th- I think with Fogarty, he's never been... He was never a superstar, and yet he's come into our side and he's been a standout. Whereas you look at a Dow, Dow was probably not a top three draft pick in his class, according to most people. But at the end of the day, he was still good enough to be selected in that position. So he was a better prospect than Dow ever was, uh, than uh, Fogarty ever was. And you look at the impact they've had at AFL level, and Fogarty's had a better impact than Dow. And I think a big factor is that one, the the culture and sort of the development system at Geelong. As we know, Geelong have a fantastic development system. They seem to turn players into stars just out of nowhere, which credit to them. They've got something that we would love. Uh, but the other thing is, I think a big thing with young kids is they get held accountable for their performances. He struggled for games for a long time at Geelong because if he played badly, he was out. I look at Samo. He's played badly for quite a while. He had some good defensive efforts against Collingwood, so I'll give him credit there. And I'm a, I am a harsh critic on Samo. But he's had a lot of poor performances, and he just gets game after game after game. Williamson, he was getting a bit average at the end of last season, but fair enough, held his spot. Two very poor games. I think he has to get dropped. I'm a big fan of Williamson, but he's got he's to be held accountable. We've never had that accountability set for our players. Dow is probably the only player I can think of that's been held accountable as a youngster. Matt Kennedy sort of has been, but he's not a youngster, so I don't really know what to make of that. I think that's got a big factor to do with it. Um, Nokia O'Brien's another one, but I think that's just because he's pretty bad. Cunningham, great example, JB. Like, Fogarty just could not get a game because if he played poorly, he knew he was out. And so he he knows if he gets on the park, he's got to play to his best standard. Yeah, anyway, let's... Uh... We're going back to the blowtorch. <laughs> I, keep, I keep saying that, but we keep... I think it's just a reflection of what the week, the Thursday night was. Um, let's talk about Harry for a second. Because he was a different player on uh, on Thursday night than he was oh, last Thursday against Richmond. And to be fair, last year. Um, from what I could tell, Luke, Harry was just... He didn't let his failed contests or where Darcy Moore beat him get the better of him. I think that was different to what's been seen in the past, whereas if he doesn't start well, Harry just like depletes and he's, he's non-existent for the rest of the game. Whereas on Thursday night, Darcy Moore was beating him early and to his credit, Darcy Moore is a fantastic player, don't get me wrong. Um, 
but Harry sort of towards the end of the game managed to halve that contest. Yeah, look, I think um, Harry, it was a really big game for Harry. He could have easily gone in his shell after last week and especially after the start Moore had. I thought Moore was probably best on ground even though Harry did kick a few goals. I still think Moore was unbelievable and he, he proved why he was that All-Australian um, last year over over Wiedering, even though I think Wiedering was probably more deserving just because I'm a Carlton fan. However, yeah, Harry was phenomenal and honestly... <laughs> I really do worry if he gets an injury, we're in such big strife. Uh, if we're talking about uh, the tools, um, I was really confused as to why McDonald didn't play because I thought he, I thought he needed to play for Harry to have his best game. But I was so glad Harry um, st- sort of still played as well as he did. Um, and honestly, I think he was our best player on the on the day. Um, he kept us in the game and he kicked fairly well, uh, which is. Not always what he's known for doing. So, yeah, very happy with Harry, that's for sure. JB, he's, uh, he's sort of corrected his kicking style a little bit. It's not as lazy anymore. I think we spoke about this last week. But there was no, it was no fuss on the weekend. And, and I really think that, you know, he, he's taken a step in, in the right direction in terms of his maturity and becoming a Coleman medalist. Well, not becoming, on the way to becoming a future Coleman medalist. What do you think? It was fantastic. Four straight, four set shots. As well, yeah, because each contest looked like, I guess, manager said to himself, it's a new contest, just go as hard as you can in the, in the next one and don't worry about the one previous. It was fantastic. Yeah, obviously, yeah, more more was more, but um, he still did he still did pretty well. And it was good to just see him go back, kick the set shot, give the rest to the midfielders as well and the other players, get the 30 seconds and and so on. But yeah, because his kicking style used to be very casual, just like he didn't have a routine and just go and kick. And obviously, when you're tired... You can only go back to certain fundamentals of your of a routine because obviously he didn't have one. But yeah, it was great to see him. Great to see him kick four, and it was big response after last week. While we're in the forward line, I I, I just want to mention uh, two players who I thought were fantastic. Um, the first one I'll just brush over is Jack Martin. I think he's so important for our forward structure, and he was another reason why uh, Mackay was able to sort of. I know he was getting he had there was a lot of attention on him, but the times where he got free, I think, was because you have to man up Levi just because he's a big target, and then Martin kicking goals was a big reason why I think uh, Mackay was able to get some space. He wasn't getting his double teams as much as he did against Richmond, uh, which was good to see. And then the other player in the forward line who I thought was amazing, and I'm so glad he's done this because in my eyes he wasn't in the 22 at the start of the season, but he certainly cemented his spot, and that was Gibbons. Um, just to see him sort of shining in that role again, where he sort of looked like he was going to get kicked out, it's great to see because that role really is up for grabs for anyone and we need someone to step up and take it. So I just wanted to mention those two while we're talking about our forward line because they were, I thought, if without them, it was going to be ugly as well. Realistically, our forward line was great. It really was and... When, it's not something we often say. Usually our forward line's the, the one that's letting us down, but our forward line was fantastic. So I think we need to give a lot of credit to those boys up to, up, up the top. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on to the funnest part of the pod, the uh, the blowtorch. JB, hit me with it. Okay, so mine might not be the most nicest, I guess, to our to our fans and our listeners, but the to the Carlton fans, I mean, 50, it was 50,000 was the attendance and we were sitting in the home end round level one and there was more Collingwood cheers when they score goals I don't know what the turnout was like 
what the split was or whatever. It just seemed like there weren't enough Carlton fans there, especially after a performance we had against Richmond where we couldn't, not everyone could get to. You'd think everyone would go there and with the increased capacity, thought it was going to be Carlton packed house just yelling at all the Collingwood players, making it hell for all the Collingwood members that sat there. But it wasn't to be. It felt like a Collingwood up home game, which was unfortunate to see, especially all the with the hype building up around that game. Big performance needed after or what we thought was going to happen after Richmond and it didn't happen. So just unfortunate to see not as many Cullen fans there. That's my my blowtorch. Just uh, maybe getting bigger numbers to the Freo game next week. Do you think that's a testament to what the club's doing to us though? Bringing out this message before every season, especially this season, that we're going to come out, we're going to be different, we're going to be a better side and then we come out and we're 0-2. Well... So at least with the Collingwood, with the Collingwood before the Collingwood game, all we had to go off was the Richmond game, which I thought was going to be fantastic. Because everyone thought, oh, if we play like we did against Richmond, we should be fine against Collingwood. But I guess what I'm getting at is our own fan base doesn't trust us, in the sense that we've we've been disappointed that many times that they just keep reopening the same wounds, and no one really wants to go until they actually see change. Yeah, look, it comes back down to that winning culture. You know, no one likes watching lose losses. Like, it's just not fun. Um, I think, I think, um, I think it was a pretty poor turnout by the fans. However, we it's it's also not surprising because I can't remember what, when we when did we last win a game last year? Was it did we win one late in the season? I don't think we did. Sydney, Sydney. There you go. And so, that was just yeah. So I mean, it, it, we don't have a winning culture. We haven't won in a long time. But even so, I think yeah, fifty thousand with seventy five thousand capacity, you know, against our biggest rivals, yeah, I'm I'm with you, JB. It was it was a bit it was disappointing, but then again, um, people it's Thursday night, people might have had uh, things on Friday, so who knows? Luke, let's uh, let's go to yours, mate. I know I know this one's a prevalent theme throughout all of last year and continues to be since David Teague took over. Yeah, look, um, initially I was going to talk about sort of our inability to lay effective tackles and apply pressure, but then I thought, nah, that's just too general. Um, uh, as you said, very common uh, one. It's another five-goal swing. Uh, it's too, happening way too often. Um, 20 out of 30 games under Teague, which is just appalling. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know what to say about it anymore. It's... With, I think with this new man on the mark rule, it's only going to make it harder and harder to stop just because the game is more open and you can get the ball in the 50 so much easier. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's it's an issue that Teague has had six months to address, more than six months to address, and he hasn't done anything about it. So, well, I mean, if he has, it hasn't worked. So yeah, I think, again, alarm bells are ringing there because... We can't kick, concede five goals in a row. Oh, God, sorry about my voice. Um, we can't concede five goals in a row and expect to win games. It's just not realistic. Well, what have the two margins been in the two games we've lost most recently? Four or five goals. Four or five goals. You eliminate those swings, we win those games. You'd think that that would be a front of mind and sort the, of thing to, to, to try and address, but and obviously we, not. And we, and we said that last year as well, but maybe it goes to more, just not having any more faith in the club, but... Anyway. Well, they don't do much to help us keep it, let's be honest. Um, Mine this week was selection. I mean, I can't really understand why after the back end of the season that Levi Casbolt had and the performance he put in against Richmond, 
why Oscar McDonald didn't take that spot in the starting 22. It just didn't make sense to me. McDonald comes on, kicks two goals, has five disposals within six minutes of being on the ground, impacts the game and works his way up the ground and kicks goals. I mean, what more can you ask the bloke to do? I really just don't understand it. It's it's a bit... It just really does my head in. Like, who's, who is this match committee? It's just it's probably just saying more Carlton just giving games... Because I don't, I don't think Casbolt should be, I guess, guaranteed a spot. Because, I mean, there's only a few people, I think, in a, in, a, in a team that can be guaranteed a spot week in, week out, unless they're having a really bad patch. But Casbolt... And Casbolt's not one of those players. I, I agree with you there. I don't think he should have... At least chuck him on as a sub just to... Make sure, hey, you've got to keep working if you want a spot because he wasn't that good against Richmond as well. Before we move on, um, I, I do want to um, mention uh, Zach Williams because he did make his Carlton debut. I thought he was fantastic. He gave away a few annoying free kicks, which I think is going to become a common theme with him just because it's in his nature and we saw what he got suspended for. But you know what? If the, if it's him going hard for the ball, I don't mind it. I just want to mention how great he looked at the centre stoppages. Um, or the center bounces or whatever you got to call them. I thought he added exactly what we expected, and that was speed and sort of a dynamic approach. He was fantastic. Those first two center clearances he got where he hit Caswell and then Martin Lace out, phenomenal. And I, I just wanted to acknowledge that before we move on, I thought he was brilliant. All right, let's move on to the votes. Um, I reckon I actually forgot about this point before, but JB, go for it. So mine was three was Mackay. Great response after last week, kicked four and arguably after helped helped us stay in it. Two was Walsh, just as per same old, only what, just yeah, I guess same old from Walsh, just always competing, always contributing. And one was obviously to Fogarty, obviously he had a fantastic game. I think he might pinch in with a couple more one votes with his performances throughout the year because he'll just he'll do enough to really make an impact. Luke. Yeah, I've gone Harry three. He was immense. Um, no words needed. Uh, Jack Martin two. Great first game for the year. Um, I, I think I think he's really shown why we got him in. Um, if he's playing forward, which I think he should, he looks best there. We're going to look a lot better for it. So um, great game from Martin, and I've also given one to Lockie Fogarty again. Great pressure, great game all around. I, I've I think we've got a bit of a steal there. Yeah, for me, I think it was a bit of a tough one this week because we had about five or six players that really could have been involved in the votes, but then the rest of them were just total crap, so you just totally ignore them. Um, but I've gone again, sort of the same. Same thing, Harry three, uh, Fogarty two, and Walsh one. We'll count those up at the end of the year and uh, we'll have the Brad Fisher 99-game MVP award from our boys. All right, let's move on to the power rankings. Luke, do you want to... Go through that, and then we'll hit the ins and outs after that. Yeah, look, um, I, I've done my power rankings again. A few changes. Um, Walsh, Cripps, and Weedering, one, two, and three. Nothing's changed there. Those guys keep on keeping on. Love them. Saad, number four. I, I'm loving Saad. He just goes about his business quietly, does well. Um, the big movers, though, uh, Jack Martin moves up seven spots. Big, big mover. He's now in uh, eighth position on the rankings. Um, I, I just again, he was so important to our team um, on the on the week on Thursday night. So he he had to be rewarded in my in because you know obviously being high in my power rankings is a great reward, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Doherty went down three. I'm getting worried about Doc. He's not playing well, not playing at his usual standards. 
He's now down to 11, which is still all right. Um, Fogarty up to 13. He's moved up fourth places. He's, he's cementing his spot in the team every week um, more and more, and um, I'm loving what I'm seeing from him. Plowman and Pitanay both have gone down three spots to 14 and 15, respectively. Um, Plowman, you know, everyone, he's been copping it a bit this week um, ever since the game because uh, he copped all those goals. Um, it was both a combination of him not probably being tired enough on his man and then midfield pressure, uh, and Grundy smashed Pitto. Straight up, we can't really <laughs> debate that one. Um, Gibbons up eight to 17. He he was fantastic. I'm so glad he's playing well. Murphy down four to 18. He's he's starting to he's got to he's got to show something. Um, Silvani, without playing and being injured, has moved up four spots because we missed him. I, I think structurally, uh, he he adds a lot. I think if we had him in there with. Uh, Martin, I think that adds really big headaches to the Collingwood defence. So he's actually moved up four, which is sounds stupid. Um, Dow has gone down three spots to twenty two, and he's getting closer to falling out of the side. He's uh, he's got to show some of that preseason form, I think. Um, and then last, the last two I'll mention are Casbolt gone down three to twenty four. Uh, I can't see Levi getting a game, <laughs> getting a game over Oscar McDonald. Um, and Williamson is down to 25. I think he needs to be dropped, even if it's just for a week. Just hold him accountable. But yeah, so fair few changes this week, and uh, rightfully so because it was a pretty poor performance from a lot of players. So yeah. Okay, before we move on, I want to touch on one of those movements. Stockerty down three. Um, I totally agree with you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to complain about the... The, the move in the ranking. I just want to raise the question about captaincy here and leadership because, and again, I stressed this point last year, our on-field leaders, well, our leaders in general, to me, they seem non-existent. Luke, I know you feel pretty strongly about this. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I agree with you. Our, our leaders aren't sort of guys who are going to be sort of those big vocal points in the team. Doherty probably is the most likely, I think. But even then, I think he's a year off or two years off with his knee injuries. I think he sort of took that coaching role and sort of took that side of him away, which is disappointing. But I, I honestly, what I want to see is that we had that great uh, footage. It was I didn't really like it because it was a Richmond thing, but where Jack Higgins like started sort of started something up in the Richmond huddle that time. You know, I look at players who can do something like that. I think Betts maybe, but Betts isn't in the twenty two and he's got a case to maybe push in potentially. And another one who I think who I want to see come in this week, and we'll get to our ins and out soon, is Matt Cottrell. Just uh, someone who's gonna provide a bit of a personality. We've got no one who's got that sort of, you know, charisma to really be that guy where everyone's like, oh, look at look at this idiot. Like, And it's not a bad thing being an idiot. Like, being an idiot can be a good thing, you know? I look at... Uh, yeah, you look at that Jack Higgins situation, people were, were criticising it because, you know, they're having a laugh and whatever. But sometimes you need that. You need that sort of uplifting spirit in the team. I say, I think from what I hear and what you I see on social, I think Gibbons might be a bit of a pest around the around the change rooms, which I, I understand. Like, just to, just to boost morale so they don't, I guess dwell on the negative things or the, the mistakes they might have made just to boost the morale and look forward yeah I understand I see why that may be needed as well but yeah Gibbons could be that one as well I hear, I hear he's a bit of a pest 
All right, let's move on to the ins and outs. Um, I think this week there should be a few changes considering the abysmal performance team-wide, um, really club-wide this week, I would say, not necessarily just the team. Um, I have Levi going out, Williamson going out, and um, coming in Oscar for Levi. There's so much hype around Liam Stocker for the past two years, I can't really understand why he's not getting a chance. Um, I know there was no practice match this week, which I find a bit strange as well, but anyway. Um, yeah, so I think Stocker should come in, give him a go, might as well, see if he's actually got what we make him out to be. Luke, what do you think? Sorry, sorry, Luke, just to interrupt. With the practice match not being scheduled, I think that's another issue with our football department not thinking ahead. I don't see why that wasn't scheduled. A1 wasn't scheduled because I'm sure other teams would be wanting, which are itching to get some of their games into their reserves or whatever as well. Interesting you say that. I saw an interesting um, article Hawthorne uh, released. and oh, I think it was a, it may, might have been an interview with Clarkson. Um, Connor Downey, the the youngster, he, um, he didn't get to play uh, last week. He was the medical sub and he didn't come on. And they said, they came out and they said straight up, He's playing football this week, whether it's VFL or AFL level. He's playing because we need to get games into these guys. The early early in the season, it's so important to get games games under the belt, even more so if you're a youngster. So, yeah, I I think that's really poor from Carlton. You know, we're one of the biggest clubs in the league, and yet we can't organise a freaking practice match. What's what's going on? Like, play. There's so many players that aren't in our 22 who haven't played a proper game of football in 18 months. Get games into these guys. Like, Stocker, when's the last time he played a proper game of football? He's been on our emergency list now for the two weeks. I think he was an emergency in round one. Yeah, he was. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so, yeah, so, I mean, how's he getting experience in games? In, or just, how's he getting miles into his legs? Like, it's not happening. Well, yeah, with, with at least Stocker specifically, he went home pretty early. I don't know whatever reason that may be. But with last year as well, COVID was... But there weren't proper matches. It was hard to gauge the reserves form. So... Yeah, it's very, very poor on Carlton's part just to not even just get, find another team, have a kick about for not even that, just to get, yeah, miles into the legs. Because obviously for kids, it's important for the, the whole development, but then again, for players as well, just to get their conditioning for the rest of the season as well. Like, I mean, it doesn't even matter who it's against. They play against the bloody Northern Bullants for all I care. Like, seriously, play against Scob, Vaffers, Vaffer teams. It doesn't make a difference who it's against. It's about getting miles in the legs. So I was pretty, like, disappointed when I found out about that. Um, but anyway, Luke, give us your ins and outs. Yes, yeah, so I haven't got it specifically in and out for like like for like, but I've just got guys who either need to get dropped, in my opinion, or and guys who I think should get a chance. So for me, uh, Levi has to go out. Oscar McDonald has to play. So that would be the one like for like. Um, I would be dropping Williamson. If Marchbank is fit, it's a perfect swap, I think. And I think that's only going to improve our team, which is great, great news. Um, and it's nothing against Williamson. The reality is he's just not at the same quality of Marchbank. Marchbank's just been unlucky not to get on the park for a long time now. Um, Paddy Dow is in sort of he's in danger of losing his spot, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's dropped as a statement um, for Stocker. Uh, and another one I could see happening is uh, if the club decides to be truly ruthless, it would be Samo. And it's for maybe a, a Cottrell um, or... And then, pff, I'm just going to start naming names here. You could even see a debut for a Corey Durden or a Eddie Betts comes in for someone. 
Um, I don't know who for, but yeah. And, and, and you know what? If we're going to hold players accountable, Plowman gets dropped because realistically, he was one of our worst performers. And who do you bring in? You could bring in a Luke Parks. He's, he's apparently been killing it in these practice matches. Not that we had one this week, but he in the couple of practice matches he's played, he's been one of our standouts and he's been fantastic in the back line. I know he's a rookie, but if he's the one playing well, fair enough. JB, give us your ins and outs. Uh, my my ins, it's, it's probably pretty similar to Luke's, I feel. Just got just to gotta hold players accountable and not not some wet players just have guaranteed games every week. Um, so, yeah, I think Williamson and Casbold for sure. I feel, I feel Dow is probably in limbo as well, I'd say. And then again, if I'm Plamen or say Flukes, right, Patrick Seaton comes out, maybe Nunes goes back off the halfback and maybe you bring Gibbons up into the middle or a couple of shuffles around. But here's a question I pose to maybe the both of you. At what round in the season do you reckon we'll be start saying just stuff this season and play the kids? Never. Uh, yeah, so I was just going to say on that point, um, I think playing the kids, it's it's actually a really funny point because I look at it and I think, uh, you look at the guys who aren't playing well and you're just like, why aren't you putting in a Cotra? Why aren't you putting, why aren't you giving Stocker a run? Why aren't you giving Durden? And it naturally in my mind, I'm slowly starting to go that way without realizing like all those ins and outs. I, pl- I, I named the youngest. I didn't name Matt Kennedy, you know, I didn't name David Cunningham. So my mind is already going down that way without even realizing it, and it's because we're just not playing well. And I want to get—I want to see what these young guys actually have. Okay, let's move on to the Frio preview, boys. Who's doing the backline? So you, Luke. Yep. So Frio's backline—it's sort of been their biggest strength and weakness all in one in the past sort of twelve months. Last year, they copped so many injuries down back and people were really questioning it but then it turned out their defense turned out to be the best part of their game and they I think last year they were one of the hardest teams to score against and um obviously they had a disappointing loss to Melbourne in round one but um I think their back line is still probably um oh it's right now it's probably their strongest line but with their up-and-coming midfield it won't be for too long I don't think but in the back line their keys are Brennan Cox and Joel Hamling uh and Luke Ryan Luke Ryan's a superstar and um if I imagine he'll probably try and be a bit of a floater um, and take those intercept marks and sort of start those rebounding um, attacks. Um, and he he's absolutely fantastic at that. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league, to be honest. I'm a big fan of Luke Ryan. So I think um, if potentially you send a, someone to play a bit of a defensive role on him because he's so important to that team. But um, Hamling and Cox, uh, they're both pretty solid. Defenders, Cox is a forward who's gone back and he's done really well. And I know Freya really, really highly rate him. So I imagine Cox will go on Mackay. Um, and honestly, I don't know if I like that matchup for Mackay because Cox is a very agile um, tall. So it could be hard to break free from him. And, and Mackay hasn't really been clunking the marks like we've been used to seeing. So um, it could be a bit of a challenge. Hamling, on the other hand, I think whether it's Levi or Oscar... They're going to have the height advantage there by quite a bit, I think, because I don't know if Hamling's all that tall um, in comparison to those two, obviously. Um, but Hamling is a really... Um, he's a solid player, but he's been coming back... He's come back from a lot of injuries, so I see that as a matchup that could really make or break our forward line this week. Um, 
Alex Pierce, who was who's sort of been playing back and forward, he's going to be out with injury. So whoever comes in to play as that third tall, whether it's Toby Watson, who I think also might have been injured, I'm not too sure. Um, I know this week they're blooding a new youngster in Heath Chapman, who who's a really great prospect, um, really good pickup in the draft for them. He, he's sort of a sort of third defender, could be a rebounder. Him with Hayden Young and Reese Conker sort of being those guys, they they're really good. Well, Chapman and Young are great young players who can play that role. Conker has really sort of turned his career around since going to Frio. Um, I think, I think there's a lot of potential there to sort of take advantage of the sort of because they're a bit undersized, but also we could also play down to that sort of height, which we've done in the past, which what we did last year, I think, when we played Frio. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle. I think it's one where our second tall, whether it's Levi or Oscar could make or break the game for us. All right, the midfield now, um, I'm not going to go as hard as I did last week because I went very, very, not very worried into the game last week and Jack Crisp had 36 touches, so um, I'll be a bit less confident as I think I should be and am entitled to be. We have lining up for Freo across the centre line, James Aish, Nat Fife and Blake Akers. Um, Aish and Fife, Fife obviously is the one to worry about. Aish is a quality player, so he's going to cause a bit of an issue for us on that wing, depending on who goes there this week when, if Setterfield gets dropped, which I'm worried he might be. Um, not that I think he should be, but I'm worried he might be. Um, and then Akers on the other side. Look, he's one that started... I think he started down here in Victoria and he's gone back as well. So, yeah, St Kilda. So, obviously, they've paid a bit of money for him and have a bit of faith in him. He's not a bad player, but I don't think he's going to cause us a significant amount of issues. Um, in the ruck stocks, I heard that Tracy got his band downgraded from three to two during the week, I think. I don't know what's going on there, but I believe they will blood Josh Tracy. Um, and he'll come in. Not that that should cause any issues for Pitto, but I think all the Supercoach fanatics will be excited about that. And. Yeah, and Lloyd... Is, is Sean Darcy coming back, is he? Yeah, because I've got Lloyd Moog here. Um, I don't think he'll be an issue for Peter if he plays, but Sean Darcy might be if he comes back in. Um, but we'll see what happens on that front. Brayshaw and Mundy, the other two. I think Brayshaw got himself injured during the week, didn't he? He's okay. There you go. Um, he's okay. And then Mundy, he's getting old, but he's still going, isn't he, David Mundy? And he's going very well too. I can't believe he's not slowing down really too much. He's he's so, he's so good. He'll play, he'll play till he's 40 almost. Yeah, one of those Berg, Burgoyne types just keeps going. I love him. JB, forward line. The forwards, okay. Well, as um, Ben said, they actually are pretty injury hit in the forward line. I was weeks so they put they played Alex Pierce last week and put him up forward. And then means the key forward is going to be Tabernacle which I feel Weedering or whoever takes him, I think, should deal with. Okay, their smalls may prove to be the issue as well, as we've seen last week, but I feel like it'd be more in the, in the midfield to stop the easy inside 50s like like we saw on Thursday night. But um, obviously, uh, Tass said, Josh Tracy on the tall, with Sean Darcy back in as well, so they may go forward because um, Roy Lobby's also injured, and I think we're pretty lucky that he's out for this game because he's a pretty good contested mark around the ground as well, so... I mean, it's uh, my whole my whole judgment has gone out the window with this Collingwood game. But I feel I feel like I feel like we should be able to deal with the players individually. Just depends on our midfield pressure. T- 
to stop them getting easy inside 50s. And also another thing, Fife may also go forward, so it depends on who takes him at certain stages of the game. will be interesting to see, but man, it's, it's going to be hard to judge, I feel, especially this game, because you don't know, because Freo could also just have a blinder. We could also respond or go back into our shell. I just don't know anymore. With with calmness, as, as sad as it sounds, but I feel like we should be at least okay. Just getting to the point where we're all sick of keeping the faith for no reward. Like we we called our two of our podcasts same old blues last year. And quite frankly, I think I'm going to know gonna this be, one the same be, thing. Be a, it'd be a trilogy, and I'm sure there'd be more more installments in the future. There definitely will be. All right, you boys ready for the forgotten blue? Everyone's favourite segment. Hang on, hang on. We haven't had set our predictions. I'll go first. I'm back in the bag as in because why wouldn't we play our absolutely best game after playing like pieces of poo uh, this week? Let's be honest. It's probably not the best way to put it, but we were pretty awful. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm back in the blues in. I think we win by three or four goals, but I'll say 20 points just because why not, hey? Actually, do you know what? I've had a change of heart. As, as bad as, I mean, to call us... To say Colin played like donkeys last week was an insult to donkeys, but but um, but I feel I feel like we're I feel like we're we have to we have to win we have to win big make a statement someone's got to kick a bag, I'm putting so I'm I'm putting us into a win by it's it's got to be fifty points on and 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 if it's less than even if it's forty eight points fold the club, give up. I said last week, if you lose to Collingwood, win a game we needed to win, we should have folded the club. I hope they prove me wrong this week. Um, Jesus, I really don't know, to be honest. I always, and I never tip against Carlton, and that costs me has cost me hundreds of dollars in the past. <laughs> um, at work, footy tipping and whatnot. But I... No, you know, I'll just tip Carlton, doesn't matter. Carlton just, a, just a disclaimer as well, gamble responsibly. It's tipping, mate. We're not talking sports bet here. Jesus. Um, yeah, Carlton by fifteen. I don't think it, I think it's going to be tight. Freya will come out and do something special because they always do when they come down here. So, but then again, we are Freo's. Uh, what's the word for it? Bogey. Bogey that's the one. Um, yeah, but I guess we're not at off the stadium. We're down here. And last time we played Freo down here, what happened, boys? Didn't we get smacked? Like, yeah, we were down by 70 points at half time. Oh, yeah, that game. Yeah, I was right. Yeah, my memory is not that bad. Yeah, it was terrible. It was actually booze. Was it quarter time? Yeah, and I want, and to be honest, I'm sure we would have had a decent but honourable, air, air quotes, honourable loss last the week before. And it'll be again like, like we had the first two rounds. Not sure that this week was honourable, but anyway. Um, let's move on to the Forgotten Blue. I have it this week. And I have it here ready to go. I hope Luke didn't just see it just then. You didn't see it? No. All right, good. All right, no, let's, uh, let's get stuck into it. So this man made his debut in round one of 2004 against Fremantle, how ironic, at 21 years of age. He had a career at Carlton spanning five seasons and played 67 games, kicking 17 goals. He's the second son of former welterweight boxer Wayne. This player crossed from Essendon to Carlton in 2004. There's not many that have done that, and I think he was the last player to do it before Andrew Phillips went a couple of years ago wow. to make that crossover between clubs. What a player. 
he played... Okay, I was actually misread that. He played 53 games for the Blues over six seasons and was a hard-running all-rounder whose endurance was tailor-made for the modern game. And I think that shows into what he went into later without revealing too much. He played his early football with Amos Terry Panola old boys. And this player rose to prominence in the Calder Cannons TAC Cup under-18 competition where he was drafted by Essendon, as we just said. Carlton then picked up this boy with pick 69 in the 2003 National Draft and he quickly settled in at Princes Park. Over his first two seasons, he played 22 games, including 17 in 2004. Go for it, Luke. I don't know if this is an actual player's name or not, but a name has just come to my mind and I don't know if it's right. Is there Was there a player, Corey Joseph? No, okay. it's, not, it's uh, not this boy. Uh, I, I actually, I think there might have been a player. Okay, hang, well, hang on. Continue. It's not, is it Corey McGrath? You'll know. You'll know when I give you the last hint if you don't get it. Um, oh, Bannister. Jordan Bannister. Bannister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've ruined I'd, it, mate. I'd, ruined I'd, call, it. I'd call that a tie. That's the first time one of us has read the name out. With he went into umpiring at the end of his, and he actually turned out to be all right because guess what? He played the game before. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Well, you know what? That's actually a really good one. I, I, I think that was gettable. And we just weren't up to our usual... Well, JB wasn't up to his usual standards. I didn't realise he played for Essendon. That threw me. Yeah, we brought him over, eh? Yeah, I think I'm right. I think he was the last player to make that. Or did Campo go go after that, maybe? Yeah. Campo maybe Maybe might have that. been Camporale. But in, yeah, just just, yeah, just another thing. Yeah, Jordan Bannister went on to be an umpire. And, and to be honest, a, decent, a pretty good one at that. And, that was going to be my last hint. Yeah, because I knew um, that would give it away. And um, yeah, so shout out to Jordan. Obviously, unfortunate you were a better umpire than you were a player. But you were still a pretty good player. I think pretty sure you had some moments that we'll, we will remember. But anyway. Anyway, boys, any final thoughts, comments to uh, leave listeners with? Luke? Yeah, big thank you to all the listeners uh, for reaching out this week. It's been a great, it's been an interesting week for the Unlucky Blues, but it's been a very uh, supportive week for from a lot of people. So big shout out to all of you. You guys have been great. Um, in terms of the baggers, I, as disappointed as I am and as probably as mad as I've come across in this episode and how my voice is sounding probably reflects how uh, annoyed I was on Thursday night, uh, I, I do think that as a club we will bounce back and I just want to put that out there. You know, I've, I've shared my opinions on how, how I've played. However, that's just a bad game, I think, for a lot of players. I think we're going to bounce back and I think we're going to be all right. So... Uh, it's been said a lot of times before, but hold the faith. We're, we're going to be okay, guys. We're going to be okay. I guess. Got to keep the faith. Been keeping the faith for 22 years for no reward, but we keep going. Go, Blues. Up back.